You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al Sayed, and this week's show is brought to you by Zana International. On this weekly talk show, we invite experts to learn from their career journeys as professionals in their fields. Tune in every week on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the advice of these professionals. And remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can always leave them in the comments section. On today's show, we are happy to have Adnan Sharif. Adnan helps prevent disease while using healthcare technology to boost relationships with his patients. Assalamu alaikum, Adnan. How are you? Doing well, Sister Fatima. Nice to talk to you and happy to be on the show. We're very uh, glad to have you today. Um, you are going to tell us a lot about the uh, not just being a physician, but also specifically uh, what it takes to be a family physician. So um, it's an honor to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, so before we get into really the nitty gritty of everything, um, can you tell us what your main inspiration was for you to become a doctor? Yeah. Um, so growing up, my father uh, was a physician, internal medicine, and I was always exposed to healthcare uh, in some way, shape, or form uh, growing up. Um, and so, you know, that exposure really helped at least plant the seed early on to uh, pursue pre-med in undergrad. And then as I went through college, I realized that uh, I really wanted to pursue a career where I built relationships with people in a, on a long-lasting basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in college, I actually had the opportunity to become uh, an EMT or emergency medical technician. So I was working in uh, critical care settings and ambulance settings and providing patient care in that regard. Um, and that really you know, kind of sealed the deal for me as far as pursuing healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest was history. You know, went through medical school um, and then ended up becoming a family practice physician. And that's so interesting that you had that um, early on exposure to uh, the field of medicine. Was it ever, um, in terms of like culture, was it over like, oh, you have to go into this? Or was it something that you really wanted to do? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So um, being uh, from the Indian subcontinent culture, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like everyone and their mother becomes <laughs> a doctor, <laughs> lawyer, engineer. Um, but, uh, you know, it was never forced upon my brothers or I to pursue healthcare as a career. My parents mm-hmm. always said, uh, you know, perceive uh, or pursue a career that you are passionate about and try to achieve the highest level in that career. Um, but healthcare was always some sort of exposure there. So it was one of the big things we knew uh, early on, uh, but never was shoved down our throat or anything of that regard. Yeah. Um, and you were born in Tanzania, correct? Yes. Yeah. I moved to the U.S. when I was four. When you had to, when your parents made that move, uh, your father was already established as a physician in that country. Right. Um, yeah. He had been practicing for a little over, uh, I want to say eight years. He, he did wow. his medical school in Karachi, but then moved back to Tanzania mm-hmm. uh, and was practicing full time there, full fledged. And then when he had to move to the States, how was that process for him? I think it's just interesting to bring this up for uh, people to understand, uh, you know, the, the journey. Yeah, so it wasn't easy. Um, I still recall our first year living in Queens that he was uh, not working as a physician at that time, but trying to uh, fulfill his needs so that he could enter the match for the following year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he worked in a, in a lab uh, at a hospital for a, a bit of time. 
Um, and then ultimately uh, went for interviews and he matched in Buffalo, which is how we ended up here. And matched as in a residency. So he had to start from the beginning again. Exactly. Yeah. He had a repeat wow. residency all over. Wow. Um, that's a very bold move and something that is uh, such a big sacrifice for uh, the future of his children, which is so inspiring, I think. Yeah, you know, and it's always something, you know, I didn't appreciate it when I was younger, but now uh, having gone through residency myself and seeing how demanding it is, mm -hmm. uh, certainly really look up to him and, and thank him for doing that. Yeah. Um, do you use this as your drive at all um, within this field? And what has your drive become now? Yeah, so um, I, I would definitely say his work uh, and his um, his process has always been a motivating factor for me. Um, and it, I'm lucky, uh, I don't think I told you this earlier, but I'm lucky that I actually work alongside him now in the same practice. Oh, wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, so that's really nice to kind of have come full circle. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's always a motivating factor, but to me now, my everyday motivating factor really are my patients and mm -hmm. uh, those relationships with them, trying to uh, improve their health, trying to improve the community's health, mm -hmm. um, and then also my family, you know, my own uh, immediate family as a motivating factor, uh, just to be able to balance that work life and home life. Um, you know, I really strive to be the best in both worlds. Yeah. And it really shows through the work that you um, do that you've told me about from what I've seen. Um, so we've talked a lot about um, how to get into the medical field and everything uh, that has to do with that on previous shows. So we won't get into that as much detail. Um, if anyone would like to know more about that, there are a few previous shows that we've done that you can uh, tune into and listen to. Uh, but on this show, we want to get into more um, the details of family medicine and what you're doing that's different. Um, so what brought you into family medicine? Um, so family medicine, uh, for me, uh, I, I guess I should go back to when I was in medical school. Mm -hmm. um, I realized as I went through my rotations that I didn't uh, love one organ system enough. I liked a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really liked all different age groups. So, uh, and then I, the last thing was the longevity. I really wanted to build those relationships with my patients long-term and be somewhat of a guiding force for them through their healthcare journeys. And so primary care as a field really came into light and family medicine actually embodied all of those characteristics that I was looking for. Um, so that was ultimately how I ended up choosing family practice, family medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and was it uh, a hard transition or was it fairly easy to go from working in a hospital setting to a private uh, clinic, basically? Um, so I would say it was easier. <laughs> the hours are definitely not as demanding. Um, and also for me, as I mentioned, balancing that work life and home life was very yeah. important. So um, one of my goals, and I always tell the students that rotate with me this, is that uh, for me, one of my values was I wanted to be home for dinner every evening with my family. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to be able to separate, you know, the two entities, the work life and the home life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, being in a private practice setting, I really am able to do that. Um, where, you know, my work, as soon as I'm done for the day, I leave and I come home and I'm able to enjoy my time with my wife and my daughter, uh, as well yeah. as my parents too. Do you recommend that people who have that family value um, go into this uh, field of medicine? I would say as far as the specialties in medicine, this is one that definitely allows you to have that balance. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are many others that certainly allow that as well. Uh, but in someone who may be in medical school or residency, 
yeah. uh, to really consider what your values are long term because once once you commit to switch is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, think about that long and hard before you decide which specialty you want to go into. Mm-hmm. And think about also how your values will change later on, even if uh, family isn't as important. Now it could be a lot more important to you down the line. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So keep that in mind as well. Um, okay. So uh, your practice, uh, is it your personal practice? Uh, so I, I'm fortunate enough to have become a partner over the past mm-hmm. year. So yes, I, I guess like you could say I'm an owner in the practice. Nice. Um, and how has that uh, grown since you've got there? How What has changed the most? Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, when I joined in 2017, uh, primary care in the U.S. has gone through a transition as far as how doctors are paid. So that really has drived a lot of change within the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so nowadays, primary care, most of the contracts that patients or providers will have with the insurance companies uh, are based off something called value-based payments. Uh, mm-hmm. So those entail uh, a fixed payment per patient per month. Um, So regardless of whether you see the patient five times or you see the patient one time, you still get the same lump sum payment. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're incentivized to really provide quality care, but also shift care towards patients that may be more needy or be higher risk patients. Um, So one of the things that we've had to do is really utilize uh, technology um, in a more efficient fashion to provide care to those patients, but also make sure that we have adequate time within the office to meet the needs of patients that want to be seen physically. Mm-hmm. And before this transition, how many patients would you get in the office and how long would you see them for? Um, so it's interesting. Uh, my, you know, I always hear horror stories from my father and some of the other <laughs> older doctors in the practice that they used to work in a model where you were seeing you know, 30 to 40 patients a day. Wow. Um, but now uh, I think the demands and the needs of health uh, patients as well as the health system have increased. So mm-hmm. nowadays on a, on a full day, I'll see anywhere from 16 to 18 patients typically. That's a big shift. Yeah. Yeah. It's about half the patients. Yeah. So definitely you get more time with the patients for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what has helped and aided in uh, making this possible? Uh, so like I said, the biggest driver is the insurance payments. I think that has really um, resulted in this need to shift the way you deliver care. Uh, and so uh, as in, in the practice itself, we're a private practice. So I would say that we have a lot more room for innovation and trying to change the ways we work uh, and see patients. Um, So this has really allowed us to be innovative in how we use technology to meet the needs of the patients. So, um, and kind of, you know, we can go into this a little bit more, uh, but uh, we provide different modalities to see our patients. So one is a traditional in-office visit. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started doing video visits as well, specifically for mental health conditions. Um, we also do what are called e-visits. So those are uh, templates where the patient will log in through something called a patient portal, mm-hmm. uh, where they can send messages to the provider directly. Um, and through e-visits, they can be treated for things like sinus infections or headaches, you know, some, uh, simple, simple conditions. Um, and the provider then decides whether they can be treated online or do they physically need to be seen in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so be, to be able to provide different ways of caring has really taken off in the past two years. Yeah. Um, is there a lot of controversy around the, this method of uh, providing health care? Yeah. So um, telehealth, uh, I guess it's definitely picking up steam a lot. And mm-hmm. there are definitely pros and cons to it. Uh, I think some patients initially are hesitant because they're not physically being examined or seen. Uh, but in medical training, and I think a lot of doctors would agree with this or healthcare providers would agree with this, uh, 
based on a history, we can really tell you, you know, what the top three conditions are, you know, off the top of our head. Really, the patient's story tells us a lot. Uh, and then sometimes a physical exam will help confirm that. So through uh, a telemedicine type visit, you really get that history. Uh, and you can always ask more questions if need be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but that is generally enough to make a diagnosis and treat appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the advantage of knowing the patients for a long time, having their family um, and their medical histories. It's not like someone new coming in um, suddenly and you're, you have to treat them. Exactly. Yeah. You know, having had those long lasting relationships, having the patient's health record directly in front of us really allows us to understand, okay, maybe this is uh, something new that the patient is going through, or, you know, this patient always contacts us for the same condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really allows us to help make a better diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, And and during flu season, it becomes fairly easy to get people in and out right away. Oh, totally. You know, this is one of the biggest things. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely see an uptick at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you tell us a bit more about the um, healthcare technology, how you're utilizing it um, in your day-to-day practice? Yeah. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, the telehealth visits are definitely something that we've been piloting and are one of the few practices in our region to be using them. Um, The other thing I mentioned a little bit was the patient portal. So, Um, that is, uh, like I said, a platform where the patient has a, a login directly into their own medical record mm-hmm. uh, and uh, allows them to send messages directly to the provider. It also allows them to, if you know, they have any questions that need to be bounced off the doctor, um, they can get some clarification through of that without having to physically be seen in the office. So mm-hmm. we've had a huge push uh, to, to use that in our practice. Um, and nationally in the U.S., the average is about 15%. And then for us, over the past uh, two years, we've really been promoting it heavily. And right now we're at about 50% of our patients are on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one out of you know, every two patients is using the portal. Um, so you know, from a provider standpoint, it changes the way you practice because you're not taught really how to use the EMR uh, to balance your workflow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you adjust and you, you learn along with that. Um, but you know, that push has really been there. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention about technology is in our exam rooms in the office, we have uh, tablets uh, from a company called Patient Point. Uh, and that company itself, it, their aim is to bridge the gap in education between patient and the provider. Uh, so on the tablet, we can access a whole variety of different images. Say you want to have a picture of a, a sinus to show the patient this is what happens when you have an infection. You can physically take that picture and email it directly to the patient as well. Um, so right when the patient's in the room, you can really help uh, transmit your message and really help close the gap as far as education with that patient. That's so interesting. Um, the ways in which technology is evolving to really aid in these different uh, um fields um, in any field that you look into. Um, and it's interesting how it's implemented in the healthcare uh, field. So yeah, and, and, and health, healthcare is a very slow adopter uh, when yeah. it comes to technology. And so I think the, the demands from the patients have increased uh, and it's time that healthcare as a field really picks up the ball and starts yeah. using technology more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that I want to bring up a little more is uh, the field of primary care. Um, it's it, within the medical uh, spectrum. Where where is it uh, placed, and what what can you tell us a bit more about? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. So in, in, in medical school, um, I will say that primary care uh, nowadays, for some reason, is looked down upon. And I think part of it is that it may not be as competitive as some of the other specialties. Um, but it's, interest, it's interesting in the sense that uh, primary care, the way of thinking is very different compared to other specialties. So in medical school, we're often taught to be reactive and really treat the disease and treat you know, the end stage result of a, of a condition. Whereas in primary care, you're really trying to be preventative and prevent that end stage result. Uh, in the meantime, you can still tr treat you know, conditions as they arise. Um, but the advantage, I think, in primary care is you really get that longevity. So you get to see the full spectrum of an illness from, you know, start to possibly and hopefully not an, an end stage uh, impact yeah. of that. Um, and you are, uh, I think, uh, before in our pre-interview, you mentioned something about preventation. Uh, oh yeah, so preventing um, disease itself. So uh, oftentimes primary care will have a big focus on um, screening. So for example, having a colon cancer screen or a breast cancer screen, uh, getting blood work done regularly to make sure that you're not developing, say, high cholesterol or diabetes, mm -hmm. uh, trying to catch disease early so you can really treat it and hopefully reverse it early on as well. Yeah. Um, and do you have to have a different kind of mindset when you're doing this job versus um, other uh, specialties within the medical field? I think so. Um, in, in primary care, you those patients are with you for a long period of time. So you really have to balance, uh, you know, how you deliver a message, how you uh, communicate with the patient. So I think primary care doctors, when it comes to communication, have a different uh, type of flair, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's because we're invested in those long-term relationships with our patients. Um, in other specialties, they tend to be very uh, specific towards a, sp a disease. And, you know, justifiably so, if, you know, if you go see a cardiologist, they, you know, will be focused on your heart condition. Um, and so, you know, they will want to treat that to the best of their ability. Mm -hmm. uh, and for us, I think the mindset is different because we see the whole patient and everything that they're going through. Yeah. Um, do you feel that sometimes patients come in just to talk? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, we, we definitely deal with uh, patients. I, I can think of many patients who uh, unfortunately are are widowed and in their um, later ages in their life. And sometimes they just want to come in and maybe they have a symptom, maybe they don't, mm -hmm. or sometimes they'll show up and the a reason they made their appointment is, you know, it's gone. They say, oh, my headache is gone, but they just want to talk about their family. And, and I think that's equally as important because mm -hmm. you build that trust with the patient and you really um, solidify your relationship with them as their primary care provider. That's so cute. That's so sweet um, to think of that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it, sometimes it's nice because you get a break and maybe there's mm -hmm. nothing urgent that needs to be dealt with. Uh, but at the same token, uh, I think we always see our patients as an extension of our own family. So mm -hmm. when they're doing well, when they're content, uh, we're happy for them. When they're not doing well, we, we empathize with them. Mm -hmm. um, how important is it to have mentors when you are in school or when you are um, trying to choose your specialty uh, within the medical field? I think it's extremely important. Um, oftentimes, I'll see, and even myself as a medical student, when I went into medical school, uh, I thought that I wanted to do emergency medicine and uh, critical care. 
Uh, and it wasn't until later on in my in my training that I was exposed to a variety of different specialties and really decided that I wanted to pursue family practice. Mm-hmm. So throughout your training, you know, be it in you know, even the high school level, be it at the college level, be it once you've already started your career, um, to really uh, have that mentorship and have that guiding voice for you and find people that have the same values that you do um, because they'll be able to provide the best guidance for you. Mm-hmm. Is there advice you can give to current high school or college students that could help them either to make a decision or um, to, to improve their chances for a job uh, further on in this uh, field? Yeah, so um, in healthcare, um, especially in training, everyone is kind of on the same track, you know, fulfilling your pre-medical requirements, taking the MCATs, uh, you know, trying to get the best grades possible. I think what makes uh, students stand out or uh, applicants stand out is really their life experience outside of their education. So what kind of things have you done as far as extracurriculars go? What other jobs may you have held? Um, And also what, you know, speaking of mentors, what type of stories do you have that really motivated you to go into the field? So, you know, while it's very easy to get, uh, you know, one track minded and really focus on the education piece, I think it's just equally as important to focus on the the extracurricular piece as well. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important for uh, medical schools to see that a person has these extra things in their life rather than just the grades? I I think it really shows who they are as a person Um, because, you know, everyone can be great on paper and have the same GPA and have the same board score. Um, But what you do outside of your education life and what you do um, in the extracurricular world really solidifies who you are. Uh, you know, my wife, who, who is a teacher, we always talk about kind of what uh, what really gives someone a best education. And it's not only what happens in the classroom, it's also what happens outside the classroom mm-hmm. that really makes you who you are. Um, so uh, I would say for anybody who's pursuing uh, healthcare as a field, be it a doctor, be it a physical assistant, a physician assistant, be it a you know, physical therapist, um, also think about the extracurriculars that you do, because those are what we remember when we see an applicant. Yeah. Um, So something that I want to delve into a little bit more um, is the different specialties that have a good work-life balance. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's important because I think this is something that people would want to really know about. So which one, which specialties within this field do you think would uh, help in aiding someone in having that work-life balance? Um, So obviously primary care. Uh, I think definitely that's a given. (laughs) Um, I will say some of the other specialties, such as uh, dermatology, ophthalmology, mm-hmm. um, you know, those tend to have a very good work-life balance. Uh, specialties that are hospital-driven more so, so for example, surgery or uh, obstetrics and gynecology, those may have a more difficult work-life balance. Critical care would have a more difficult work-life balance. Mm-hmm. However, you'll also see fields now where um, the providers are based on shift work. So for example, an emergency medicine doctor will have certain shifts that they need to work, or a, a person who is a hospitalist and only sees patients in the hospital, they may have uh, shift work as well. So there are opportunities there to have better work-life balance. Um, but as far as having a set schedule and having a very predictable schedule, um, you know, I would say it's mainly feels like primary care, you know, ophthalmology, dermatology would be those. And what's the one thing that you wish someone would have told you before you you know, delve deep into this career? Um, I would say, uh, you know, for me specifically, 
is keep an open mind. Um, it's, I think in medical school, some people, when the moment they enter, they have a preconceived notion of what field they want to pursue and they don't consider any other, um, any other route. Uh, but in each rotation that you go through, each one is a requirement and there's every, there's something to be learned in every single rotation, pros and cons of, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, anybody who's going into this career, keep an open mind. Uh, and also with medicine, it's such a long road that if there's any doubt in your mind that you, you, maybe this is not the right career for you, speak to someone who is a doctor and really make that decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take some time off and really reflect and decide, um, you know, is this right for you or not? Yeah. Did you take the traditional route and go into medicine right after school and then finish your residency and go straight into your career? Uh, Yeah. So I took the traditional route. Um, I didn't take any time off. Uh, And for me, I think that was appropriate because I knew for sure uh, by the time that I was in my basically third year of undergrad that I wanted Mm -hmm. to pursue medicine. Uh, whereas someone who may not be sure by the time that they graduate, it's okay to take time off and, and decide, okay, is this right for you or not? Mm. Um, what do you say to people who do want to take that time off, but are scared to tell their families or, um, you know, are scared of getting that, oh, what are you going to do in this year? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say don't be scared. Um, I, life is long. <laughs> Um, and when you are in college and when you are in graduate school, you're still very young as far as the spectrum of life is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's okay to take time off to decide what you want to do. Unfortunately, some cultures um, are really, uh, it's taboo to take time off. You always have to be, you know, going 100% full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay to take time off to pursue, uh, you know, other opportunities, even maybe work for a little bit in a different field to decide, okay, is there something there for you? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, certainly have that open discussion with your family. Um, there are many people who have taken a non-traditional route in their careers. Uh, I don't think anybody has ended up you know, at age 40 or 50 saying that, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do when I was 18. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's okay to take time off and it's okay to um, you know, reflect on what your needs are, what your values are to decide what you ultimately want to do. Because mm-hmm. as you grow, you're developing more and more um, you know, thoughts about who you are and what you want to do. And you're still discovering that. Yeah, that's always changing every, every single day. And it really changes on based on who you meet and what happens in your life. So you never know what's going to, what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah, exactly. Um, has Islam helped you on your road to success in any way? Yeah, um, I would say that as I went through medical school, I definitely became more spiritual Um, I really uh, reflect on one rotation that I had. I did a month on palliative care and hospice. Uh, And in the end of life, you see religion or any sort of faith is really brought up frequently Mm -hmm. um, because those are uh, their modalities to help people grieve and help uh, people really uh, value and put worth to their life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, even in those rotations, I always recall and patients that were, you know, maybe a day or two away from passing away. Uh, and, and they would always reflect on their lives. And that really helped me solidify what my values were too. Um, you know, going back to family medicine, that was another thing that helped solidify why I wanted to pursue family, family medicine as a career. Mm-hmm. But in, in, those, in those conversations with those patients, faith always came up and it really allowed me to reflect on uh, Islam and my own faith uh, and how, you know, we all practice our religions differently. 
Mm -hmm. um, but uh, to really solidify what kind of Muslim I wanted to be. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of the advice and for sharing your journey with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, we've unfortunately come to the end of our show, but, but before we end, I want um, your final piece of advice for our listeners. Um, so my final piece of advice is don't be afraid to take risks in your career um, and in your journey. Uh, don't pass up on opportunities where that are given to you, especially early on uh, when you're young. It's much easier to take a risk than when you are older. Mm -hmm. um, and so anytime you get an opportunity to even speak in public or, uh, you know, pursue a leadership opportunity, pursue something that may not be in your in your day to day living, take it and, and learn something from it. Uh, as because any opportunity like that will help you solidify what you want to do in the future. Thank you so much, Adnan. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Sister Fatima. You were just listening to the UMentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the UMentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to our iTunes podcast so you never miss another show? If you want to reach out to today's speaker or speakers from any of our previous shows to ask these professionals any questions you may have, just visit our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups or visit the UMentor website and hit the link for online platform. Thank you for listening to our speaker today on Facebook Live. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. to hear more stories from our next guests.